0: So many yams. So many yams. Another yam.
1: podcast features explicit language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to Better Late Than Never. This is a mostly movie podcast where I invite a friend to watch a blockbuster, cult favorite or otherwise culturally significant film that they've never seen before. After we watch the movie, my guest will decide if it was better late that they've been missing out by not having seen the film, or never. The movie just didn't live up to the hype for them. My name is Dave, and I'm your host. Now, I say this is a mostly movie podcast, because this week, we're doing something completely different. We're reviewing a book. Holy crap. I know. Now, the voice you just heard is my returning guest, Will. Welcome, Will. Thank you. Good to be here again. It's great to have you. And we're going to be reviewing a book that he has never read before Things Fall Apart by Chinua Chebe, which was first published in 1958. So, Will, one more time, welcome back to the program.
0: Thank you again.
1: How's everything going? Things are going just fine.
0: Um, I am looking forward to this. This seems like a homework assignment. You know when you have those dreams that like you didn't pass in your homework in eleventh in grade and your entire life is unvalidated and you're gonna go to jail or something because you, you don't have that homework assignment. I feel like this is a book report I should have done in like sophomore year of high school. Um, so it, it feels good. I, I feel like I'm making amends somehow.
1: Well, it's funny you should say that. Because we attended the same high school, so I know for a fact that this book was assigned in high school. How the hell have you not read this book already? You know, I didn't
0: do a lot of the assigned reading in high school, but I actually don't Uh, remember. Oh, there it is. uh, Well, I mean, that's that's just true, but I actually don't remember uh, this one actually being assigned to me. I know sometimes there were summer reading lists, and you had to pick two of, like, 10 books to read over the summer not that i did that either by but i at least picked out the books that i was supposed to read um so that i could kind of fake it when i got back and i don't think this was one of them but uh yeah i haven't read this This, book
1: this was one of those ones where like middle of the year you're reading it as part of the group the teacher is like you know, doing it with you in class. This was, like, a major one.
0: Yeah, you know, I must have missed that somehow, because I at least remember, you know, I, 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 you know, some books that I didn't read or read, <laughs> kind of, like, read, like, you know, just enough to get by, um, but uh, I at least remember, like, being in class and having to fake it, um, and that I don't remember with this book at all. Now, it's been a while since I was in high school. Um, it's you know possible I read this entire book and completely forgot about it. I don't think that's the case. Um, you know, maybe you were in a more advanced English curriculum than I was. That's... Oh
1: yeah, <laughs> AP English, baby.
0: AP, there you go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> For those of you not on the Zoom call, I'm getting a uh, quite a look through the screen. <laughs> What? It's still totally cool to brag about what class you're in in high school, right? Um, sure. Can you I throw th- out what score I got on the test? You know what? What was your SAT score? Oh, I mean, I know what it was, but I don't think I don't think SAT scores are the same now. I no. think they're different.
0: I also remember mine, or I remember what numbers it started with. I don't. I don't think I could remember. The, it was a fraction, uh, the, the, yeah, but um, no, I think it's it's been totally different now because when we went, it was still you know the 800 verbal, 800 math, and then
1: yeah, now we, there's three numbers. There's three numbers. It's yeah, weird. it blew my mind when I heard that. What's the third? What's the third thing?
0: I don't know. I mean, there's math. There's verbal. Is it something like? Is it you know, gym? Is it, there a
1: physical physical challenge? It must be. You
0: have to climb a rope, or that, that would actually net.
1: be my nightmare. You have to do the aggro-crag.
0: <laughs> oh, man.
1: Actually, if it was the aggro-crag, I think that would be a lot of fun. But
0: <laughs> That would actually be fun, but uh, I can imagine a lot of things that wouldn't be too pleasant.
1: Well, all right. Well, we're, we're getting a little far afield here. Let's, uh, let's bring it on back to Things Fall Apart here. So you have, at least I think it's fair to say, heard of the book.
0: Yes, I have heard of this book.
1: Well, what what is your impression of it? What do you you know about it? Here's
0: what I think I know about Things Fall Apart. Um, And you mentioned it was written in the 50s. That part I did not know. I actually probably would have guessed earlier, um, in the earlier part of the 20th century. Um, Mm -hmm. It is about, I believe, and I don't know very much at all here, but I believe it takes place in Africa and it examines... Um, the, the Western slave trade and, uh, how it affected, uh, communities in Africa. That's okay. That's, that's all. That's it. That's what I got.
1: Who do you think, uh, like, what do you think the point of view character is in this book?
0: I'm going to go with the point of view character is, uh, I'm going to say someone who, Oh boy, this is complete guesswork on my part right now, um, mm-hmm. because it could be. I'm gonna guess it's a villager who lives in uh, in a village in Africa and is watching uh, his community kind of fall apart around around this thing. Um, because I wouldn't think that it would be, you know, one of the leaders of the village who is probably. In some part, you know, working with the the forces of Western civilization who are coming over to right. attain slaves. Um, I think that's probably a sympathetic protagonist and that it's, I mean, I think this is going to be, I, I, I predict this is going to be a tough read. That doesn't have anything to do with my <laughs> predictions of the plot or characters. Um, so maybe that's why I avoided it. Um, but, but that's, that's, it's going to be that perspective and maybe, um, we get to know their families and maybe their families are affected by all of this.
1: Okay. So, I mean, you mentioned that you thought it might be a tough read, but does the book have any other kind of reputation as far as you have gathered so far?
0: Only in that I think it's a book that's considered to be important to, uh, educate yourself on the history of the world and the country that we live
1: in. Mm-hmm. So it's important for the history of this country.
0: I'm going to go with that's my guess. Now, I could be wrong and it could be like, you know, Holland or or England or something, but I'm I'm going to guess yes, that it has to do with the United States.
1: Okay. Okay. Did you know who the author was? Did you know anything about him? I
0: don't know anything about the author other than the name's familiar. I think because he wrote this book, and it's a well-known book. I think that's that's it. I Very, very little do I know about this whole thing.
1: Okay, okay. And then I guess um, I would ask, um, are you expecting any specific kind of story beats uh, along the way in this story?
0: I mean, if I had to just kind of guess it out, and again, this is based on nothing um, other than this is how these stories you know work out, you're probably going to be introduced to a family um, or a village or something that's kind of doing their thing. Um, and then there are going to be the forces that come in that is um, elements of the Western slave trade, and there's going to be uh, people who are conflicted about it. There are going to be, you know, some maybe uh, leaders of the village who, um, you know, make a decision to profit uh, on it and, um, Basically, because it's, you know, they've realized that they have no choice. This is happening either way, so they may as well. I don't know. Um, and, you know, there's probably going to be, you know, some loss. Maybe some people lose family members to this. Uh, maybe there's some betrayal, that type of thing.
1: Okay, cool. All right. Well, that's all I have for specific questions. Uh, do you have any other predictions or hopes that you would like uh like to anything you'd like to see in the book you know anything that you want to get down on record before we decide to uh head on out to read i
0: i hope that this book is much more uplifting and more fun to read than uh than i'm predicting
1: okay that's
0: fair (laughs) yeah But I th- I predict that I will be glad to have read it, because it seems like something that, as I mentioned before, it seems like I'm making up uh, on a book report I should have done uh, 20-some-odd years ago.
1: Fair, fair. I hope you're right about that. Now, here's a question. Unlike you, Will, I was a good, responsible student. After all, I was in AP English, after yes, all. Yes, of course. Got to pretty good score on the test thanks did really well on my SATs I got an 800 in all three of the scores uh,
0: fantastic that's combined right yeah which yeah, is all three it's, added it's, up to it's 800. difficult to get three whole integers to add up to 800 so that's really impressive
1: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah I got an 800 on the on the AP test too yeah it's not even possible but I did so well they uh made a special exception for me thanks So, uh, yeah, really good student. Um, but, um, so I, I have read the book before, um, but I am going to read it again for this, um, project that we're doing here. But the thing is, uh, I have memories of the book and what I'm interested in here is that when I read it, I was a, a, a callow youth. I was in, What was I, 16? I was an immature little suburban kid who was being forced to read it in class, and uh, I had one reaction to it, and I'm extremely curious to see what my reaction to it is going to be now. Um, But I do want to ask, do you care if you hear me say what my memories of it are
0: no if you want to do that as part of the the prep or the before Uh, thing yeah let's let's
1: hear it okay so when i first read this book i did not like it and the major reason for that was that i did not really like the main character um the protagonist um and hopefully this doesn't influence you um because i'm interested to see if i actually uh change that opinion on this you know rereading of it if i r- relate to him differently now um in the, in the first read through i didn't really like him and so i wound up uh not really enjoying the read this time through I'm very curious to see if I uh, have a different reaction to this book. So that's my major um, kind of question mark in my mind going into this reread. So.
0: Okay. Well, we'll see if I like the protagonist the first time around. I think I predicted I would. So we'll yeah. see. Yeah.
1: Well, we'll see. Yeah. And so, you know, I'll go into more details in part two, obviously. But um, that's just the, the big thing I wanted to throw out as a, uh, the thing on my mind before, you know, before I've actually cracked it open again after all these years. So, all right, we've got everything down on record before it's time to read it. So, I guess I'll see you on the other side, Will. Time to read Read Things Fall Apart.
0: Awesome. Are we going to end with the uh, da-dun-dun like they used to do on Reading Rainbow?
1: I mean, I'm a little bit worried about copyright infringement, but... um. You know what?
0: <laughs> Sorry, Lavar.
1: Let, let, let's do it. You want to do it together? Yes. One, two, three.
0: Da-dun-dun! Dun,
1: dun. <laughs> awesome. Nice. This is the part where we're reading the book. And now it's done. and we're back because now we've read things fall apart they certainly do dave they certainly do oh my goodness they fall apart so hard thank goodness it only happens in literature though not in real life right i'm sure we'll get to that a purely fictionalized account of the things that happen in the realm of fiction but yeah um what'd you think dude well,
0: uh, I feel like I've finally done that homework assignment. Um, yes, you have. I've realized I'm a better podcast guest than I was a student because I don't think I would have, uh, you know, stuck to it as much. But I did. I did. Uh, I did read the. I did read it. I read the whole thing, every I read single the whole word. Thing. I
1: swear. <laughs> really. Well, that's good because I actually have a pop quiz for you. Oh boy. Well, in chapter six, yes, we're going to be. Did it going have to do with the yams, the themes, and the imagery?
0: Uh, what, what was there? Yams and wife beating? I bet it was yams and wife beating.
1: You have correctly identified the themes and the imagery. Oh my God! So many yams, <laughs> so much wife beating. Um, I believe I mentioned in part one that in my first read through. That I did not particularly like Okonkwo as a protagonist. Mm-hmm. Did I say that in part one? You did say that, and it didn't take me long to figure out why. Of course, um, and we can get into that. Yeah, we'll get into that deeper, but um, I, you 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 hit upon the reason, right? There. Well, not to uh, not to make a pun of it, but uh, Ouch. that, yeah, terrible. But um, yeah, but um. Generally speaking though uh did you think the did you think the book was any good?
0: Uh absolutely. I mean I thought it was a very good book. Um you know I was joking a little bit about you know getting through it and because it wasn't exactly light reading. Um I mean it wasn't dense in the sense of it being you know complex or hard to understand. It was just um it seemed like kind of a lot but I'm I'm glad to have read it, glad to know it, glad to have gotten through it. Um and uh yeah absolutely it was a uh, i wouldn't argue that it is a great
1: book sure yeah uh because it is <laughs> uh correct uh, yeah. yeah um so looking back on uh what you thought you were going to run into on this did you um did you ultimately feel like it was a tough read i mean i feel like there's two ways that you could Answer that question because there's the there's being a tough read in which it's high level, uh, reading like mm-hmm. it's dense, there's a lot of you know, really, uh, you know, ten dollar words in there, that kind of thing, or there's being a tough read where uh, the content is difficult, yeah. Um, so did either of those uh, I feel like in the in the former case, it's it's not very difficult at all maybe in the latter though
0: i would say at the latter yeah the latter case is what i was referring to um and in that yeah. case it was and it wasn't i mean it, i don't think it was in the way that i expected it to i mean i thought as i said in the earlier um segment i thought that it was going to take place actually like in a century or so before um, and that would, and that it was going to be, you know, the plot was going to be around the slave trade and that people were going to be taken from the village and in, in, into slavery, um, which was not the case. Um, but, you know, that, of course, was the type of tough read that I was expecting. Um, this definitely had a lot of kind of uh, subject matter and events and themes that were not necessarily lighthearted. Um, but I thought that the prose, uh, was whimsical. Um, so it was in that way, it it was somewhat easy to get through. I did find it, I guess, part one, I found a little tougher, um, because I guess once we got to part two and part three, those went very quickly for me, I think, because... Yeah, it really picks up the pace in those parts, doesn't it? Because things just kind of keep going. I mean, part one, as I mentioned, I was just like... Oh, is it going to be... Okay, another chapter. Are you going to pick some yams and beat your wife again? Okay. Yes, he is. <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> and it was just maybe like his son. <laughs> yeah. No,
1: this chapter, it's the son. Okay.
0: Um... But so it kind of it it seemed like, you know, things started moving very quickly then towards the end of part one and parts two and three, which were both significantly shorter than part one, um, you know, really went went pretty quickly and events just kind of really things fell apart very quickly, I
1: guess. Yeah, once they once they started to fall apart, they fell apart fast, which, um, you know, again, absolutely no uh, resonances whatsoever. Anywhere else. No. Um, so for me, uh, this is my second time reading it, and I mentioned that I agreed sort of with the sense that I'm getting from you that um we seem to kind of be on somewhat of the same page with Okonkwo. So the first time I read it, uh I, I really didn't like Okonkwo, uh, the protagonist of this book. Um, because he uh, is a, a violent man and he beats his wives uh, rather frequently in the book. He beats his son. He does some other stuff that we'll get into in the plot. Um, and so I really didn't care for him as a point of view character. And there is another thing too that uh, we'll get to when it comes up in the plot that, I, that kept me at a distance with this book. Um, but probably mostly it was my rejection of Okonkwo as a sympathetic character that caused me to not really um care for this book the first time I read it. This time though, uh it it was kind of what I, I suspected I might like the book better because I was, you know, a little more mature and a little more able to handle a complex lead character mm-hmm. who was uh, you know, not perfect and consisting of Shades of Grey, you know, a a human lead character. So um, this time around, I, I recognize that Okonko might not be a great person for the things that he does, but that doesn't make him any less interesting or worthwhile as a lead character to follow. And so... I just I enjoyed my read through this time considerably more. Mm. One thing uh, that I struggled with in reading the book
0: um, was just there's kind of like an ever folding in on itself concept of cultural and historical relativism um, where, you know, this man in today's society obviously would, you know, be uh, be a monster um, with how violent he is towards his family and other things um but then you think about well uh in most of human history um society was set up a lot more like it is in the book where you know there was kind of a strong man in a village and uh you know it was just a much more kind of brutal thing i mean it's only been in the past really 50 years even in this country where you know you weren't allowed to knock around your wife and kids all you wanted to and so, but then once you grant that to a conquo, then, well, now we're in the realm of cultural relativism, and then we talk about the things that happen later on in the book, and what do you have to grant, um, you know, the English Christians that come in towards the end of the book if we're going to grant uh, apologies on those terms. So it's just one of those things where it just, you know, folds in on itself and in on itself and in on itself, and... Obviously, you know, in our days and right forward thinking people that we are uh, reading over and over again about the protagonist um, kind of brutalizing his multiple wives and his many children um, makes us not like him um but then you have to i i guess there is a distance there is an arm's length distance i also think that there was a part of it which was intentional um i think that we weren't supposed to necessarily like him um he's certainly a he's 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 certainly not a forward-thinking human being he's very much into you know the ancestors he's very much a traditionalist and he's very much uh you know brute force settles everything type of mentality um which absolutely we associate even in our society with you know people who are um brutes brutes um who are you know who, who don't have the right attitudes towards things um but then of yeah, course or well, even yeah.
1: you know even if you accept a cultural relativi- a culturally relativistic attitude even within Ibo's society Okonkwo takes things too far he commits crimes of violence yes that are considered beyond the pale even within his society
0: Right. There's the one instance where he beats one of his wives for like getting a haircut and it was during uh a week, of, week peace of peace before the harvest um, or whatever. Yeah. Um and it was, you know, it was a, a grave sin to to beat your wife or to do anything violent during that time and he was punished by the by the tribe for um for doing so. So yeah. even within his tribe and even within the time he was uh he was a a brute i mean he was a a famous wrestler um he was famous for you know murdering people and drinking wine out of their severed heads Uh, so you know i mean that's the type of person that we're dealing with
1: well i think this is a perfect jumping on off point to uh talk about chinua chebe himself a little bit Mm -hmm. and maybe what some of his uh i don't know i can't ascribe intentions to him but maybe what some of the um consequences of the book were anyway so Achebe he was when he was born uh his father was a Christian but the rest of his family uh they kept to the more traditional um the more traditional traditions Mm -hmm. they kept to uh you know the non-Christian belief system So he himself growing up uh, was sort of torn between two worlds a little bit. And clearly that would have fed his perspective. And so what also was going on at the time that the book was written was that it was the 1950s, which was the, um, the period where Africa was going through decolonization. And so... Africa was in this place where it was essentially having to rediscover its identity in the wake of having been colonized and reimpose a sense of itself. And, you know, what is Africa going to be? Is it going to be, is there, is Pan-Africanism going to rule the day? Is there going to be uh, nation states on the European model? And are those going to follow the, orders set up by the colonizing states is it going to be a return to tribal you know who knows what's going to happen here so the whole question of african identity was very uh forward in people's minds and then most of the english language literature about africa Mm -hmm. and about africans that predated things fall apart presented native Africans in one of two ways it presented them either as primitives and as savage primitives you think about say joseph conrad's um heart of darkness you know a place of savagery and madness you know and terror or it went hard the other way and presented them as the noble savage people who lived this childlike, naive Edenic existence, you know? Mm -hmm. So Achebe's goal, you might assume with the book. And again, I shouldn't read his intent. I shouldn't assume his intentions, but what he wound up doing with the book is presenting pre-colonized Africa not as either of those things, but as what, at least theoretically, it was, which was complicated, fully realized, and human. So you can take that view both of the tribe, the Igbo tribe, that we get to explore and experience throughout mostly part one when we're kind of going through and seeing all... The culture and the history and the customs of everything that happens before it all falls apart in the second two uh, sections, and in Okonkwo himself, who again, not everything is great about him, and not everything is great about the Igbo tribe. There are real, mm-hmm. there are flaws in this tribe. They have slavery. They have traditions that are problematic. But it's, you know, it is a fully flourishing human culture and civilization, mm-hmm. you know, with everything that goes along with it. It's not reducible to this all good, all bad, simplified human perspective that the uh, white European colonizers tended to present, at least in the English tradition, prior to this book.
0: Right, which is something so. I
1: definitely kept in mind
0: throughout reading it, which was, you know, you have to think of 1958. Um even if you look at i used to have an encyclopedia or my family did that was published in like the late thirties or early forties and I just remember reading uh in that encyclopedia if you read about you know tribes in Africa or things like that it was it 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 was just you know i i don't i don't know if it was you know ill intentioned even it was just incredibly ignorant as far as not understanding um yeah you know that that people are people and people have societies and people are 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 just not simple and i think there was an idea of yeah that that people were savages and that they were you know kind of animals sort of um that they weren't you know uh that they weren't you know real people and complex people um and people who had the full range of human intellect and emotion as you know we all do so in that sense, uh, I, would, I would think that this was a very important book in kind of bringing it from the perspective of, um, you know, the native villagers of Africa instead of, you know, of the uh, sort of imperialist white man coming in. It, you know, I don't think there had been a famous, as you just said, a famous or well-known book or, uh, you know, piece of literature that had expressed it that way beforehand. So, I mean, that's that was important. And, you know, obviously one of the reasons why uh, this book I- remains an important work.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I mean, clearly we have had that since then. But at the time, just an absolutely. Groundbreaking. Idea, you know, and think about that, too. It took till 1958 right. for that to be a groundbreaking idea. Right. Yikes. Well, uh, do you want to talk about the plot? Let's do it. All right. So we're in Nigeria in the 1890s. Um, and yeah, you know, y- you mentioned how this is later in time than you expected. It's even later in time than I expected, and I'd read it before. hmm you know i I was like yeah that's that's really late but you know it's so anyway so it's the scramble for africa basically um and uh colonization is coming but it hasn't reached this village yet Mm -hmm. or at least not this area yet and oh uh by the way you you know the where the title comes from
0: yeah uh i do yeah the the yeats poem which
1: yeah i did look up yeah it's interesting right that you have this um this novel about africa uh titled from a european poem
0: yeah i mean on an even more macro level one thing that struck me um and that i thought about a little bit was that naming a piece of work naming a naming a book after or a reference to a different literary work, I think is somewhat recent. And I was trying to think of the earliest one I could think of, and I, I think there's, you know, of mice and men and brave new world, um, which are both references to Shakespeare. And then later on, we have um, catcher in the rye, and then like one flew over the cuckoo's nest, and and now it's just very common to do that. But I mean, I think mm-hmm. that uh, naming something, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe this dates back long before. But I couldn't think of, uh, I couldn't think of an example that when. Kind of before
1: that, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, there's earlier stuff where like things were named after like myths and legends, right? Right. So like you know, King Lear was named for a legend that Shakespeare would have heard, but um, you know, it wasn't a it wasn't a famous book.
0: Uh, it's just a kind of a, an interesting trivia note that I thought of.
1: Yeah. Honestly, I wouldn't have read more into it just because the it's just so apropos. That mm-hmm. I would have been like, you know, this is sort of like it's the only it, it it had to be the title, you know. Yes, I wouldn't have read anything deeper into it just because it's so what the title had to be, um. That you know the fact that it comes from a Yeats poem wouldn't have meant anything to me, but uh, there is another when I was I was looking up stuff and reading and watching things about it. Um, there's another part of the prose later that references uh tennyson Mm. so there clearly is an engagement with uh european literary history going on here that's deliberate so i guess i can't dismiss it like that
0: right i mean i i think that also um just that things fall apart in that poem the second coming has just been and i don't know if it's been kind of propagated because of this book, I would suspect maybe, but also, you know, independent of that as well. You know, and I was going back and forth this whole past week with, you know, trying to get this book read, but also, you know, being addicted to, you know, my computer screen where I have like 11 tabs open of like, you know, the, the New York Times and Twitter and, and Washington Post and Wall Street Journal and Real Clear Politics and 538 and everything friggin' else and, and constantly stuffing things in my head and, and, um, and, you know, I actually came across, uh, something that, um, Recently, a senior, uh, a uh, Holocaust historian named Christopher Browning said about kind of, you know, referencing our current situation. He said, if people do not accept the ground rules by which democracy operates and winning at all costs and incivility became the norm, then things fall apart. And whether he was consciously making an allusion to the poem or if it was just, um, Uh, if he was just, you know, kind of saying, saying the words, I can't say for sure, but certainly, um, the phrase things fall apart has, just pops up all over the place and in kind of ways that are specific and universal at the same time, uh, which is obviously something I thought about throughout this book as well.
2: Yeah,
1: but you know like i said i don't I, I don't think there's really too much about this that's applicable to anything else oh boy i don't really see i don't see any parallels so the book begins and we meet okonkwo our hero and he is a strong well respected man in his village yep he threw the cat in a wrestling match And it is made very clear that this is important to him. The respect of others and personal strength and achievement is something that really, really matters to this guy.
0: Yeah, he was um, ashamed of his father, who was more kind of like a layabout and kind of a bum and owed a lot of people money and, and was lazy and stuff like that. And Okonkwo was very determined to not be like him and to find himself kind of as the opposite.
1: Yeah. And so I was a, a little curious about this. So Okonkwo's father Unoka was this lazy musician. He didn't he didn't work. He just liked to play his flute all the time and he constantly owed people money. So Okonkwo grew up in poverty and everyone thought Unoka was a bum. But what do you think Achebe thought of unoka because we know what okonkwo thinks of unoka because mm-hmm. okonkwo he hates unoka and he hates everything about him and he basically defines himself for the rest of his life in opposition to his father and his father's lifestyle he hates he uh, i have it um okonkwo had one passion to hate everything that unoka had loved one of these things was gentleness The other was idleness, Mm. and this helps him to rise up out of poverty, and that wins him a lot of acclaim in the village, but it also makes him a huge dick, Um, but what do you think Achebe thinks of Unoka? Because I kept wondering about the way he's portrayed, and he kind of has this sort of like charming rogue quality slightly.
0: I think so. I guess I didn't really put a lot of thought into it, but I think yeah, okay. that he—he he, he, probably—he's not really... that important a character. I was just uh, no, but I think he probably—I I think he probably did like him, and but I think he probably also has wants to be supportive of a Conquo. Um,
1: well, except he doesn't really support him, right? Right, in the way a father would support a a son. Uh, like literally right right sure yeah you know i guess whatever yeah it,
0: it it is i guess it's not really explored much it's you know his perspective isn't really explored much i mean does he and i i don't remember does does he die like fairly
1: early on um he does he also dies in this like he gets this um illness that the village thinks is an abomination oh yeah so they like they throw him out into the evil forest to die unburied that's right so that's right yeah this also instills in Okonkwo this character uh, trait which is that Okonkwo's whole life is defined by a fear of weakness right right? the quote here is his whole life was dominated by fear the fear of failure and of weakness. It was deeper and more intimate than the fear of evil and capricious gods and of magic, the fear of the forest and the forces of nature, malevolent, red and tooth and claw. And number one, that's some great writing right there. Yes. Number two, the red and tooth and claw part is, uh, the reference to Tennyson I mentioned. Okay. But, uh, yeah, that's um it is an interesting character trait to be com- you know he's someone who is completely defined by outward projected strength and yet he has this such a fundamental weakness at his core which is basically he's completely and utterly defined by the fear of weakness. Right. And and looking weak and it's it's the source of basically all of his problems throughout his entire life, right?
0: Which is such an insightful but also rudimentary understanding of that type of psyche, um, and we could you know list I think a lot of examples of of people for whom that is their driving motivation, um, due to their due to their early development um and it is it makes people who are highly successful um but also fundamentally broken
1: yeah well so this uh this this kind of brings me to this um observation that i had about okonkwo which is that uh, he he's like this self-made man right so you know he had to overcome unoka's raising you know he had nothing in life and he, he raised himself up out of nothing to become one of, the, one of the leading members of the tribe. He is one of the top nine members of the tribe. When there comes a ceremony when only nine people get to wear the faces of the um, founding spirits, mm-hmm. he is one of them, you know? And uh, there's this part where um, even, like, when he goes to get his initial—he uh, he has to request—he has to borrow— yam seeds to raise his first crop of yams to get started and it's the worst season it's the worst uh season in memory right right it's like you know it it just it made me laugh like this guy seems to be kind of like snake bitten throughout his entire life yeah like things just keep going wrong for this dude and some of it is he brings on himself but some of it is just like he's ill fated this guy is he has something wrong in his stars, you know, <laughs> but um the thing is, just through sheer hard work and perseverance, he overcomes. He mentions that the fact that he made it through that terrible season, he was like, if I made it through this, I can make it through anything, you know, and he loves hard work and he he becomes a, lead- a leader through this hard work. And he has this opinion that... um, Basically, you know, not only does he hate gentleness and idleness, but he feels like anyone who isn't as successful as him or who he deems to be idle, um, that's their fault. You know, right. like and like basically, you know, you are responsible for your own fate here and uh, you you can work to attain anything you want. So there's this meeting going on and he's just completely brutal with anyone who's less successful than him, mm-hmm. so some guy tries to say something in a meeting, and he he just cuts him off by saying, "This meeting is for men," <laughs> and this is even worse than the Ebo village because calling someone a woman is a huge, you know, they don't respect women in this village, right? And you know, there's a follow up quote about how Okonkwo knew how to kill a man's spirit, right? And what I think there, I'm basically like, he's a Republican. You know, I'm glad that
0: you said it before I did because absolutely, that's that's what I thought the whole time. And even when we get into, well, I, I mean, I guess just in that context, I mean, one thing that I've always thought about sort of at the core of the difference between, you know, conservatism and liberalism is that we are evolutionarily, even though, you know, society has evolved in the past thousand years or whatever, um, our... Our wiring, our biological wiring, is still in this sort of society, uh, to, is still in, you know, a society of like 60 people that are, are you know, an even more uh, primitive society than this one portrayed, uh, that are kind of like hunter-gatherers. And, and there's this, um, you know, liberalism versus conservatism is coming upon another tribe and, you know, saying, well... Maybe we should integrate with that tribe. We can learn from them. We can grow bigger and stronger. And, you know, the sum will be greater than the parts. And conservatism is, know that other tribe wants to hurt us. um, So we need to hurt them before they hurt us. They do everything wrong. They do everything wrong, right. Um, And obviously this uh, comes into play later on in the book where, um, you know, we have what I would say the more progressive... uh, quote unquote um members of the tribe are you know the ones that actually kind of betray at least in the perspective of a conquo um the the sort of morals and traditions of the tribe so it's it's just such an interesting thing, but yeah, the fact that he is i mean if he were in American, he'd have a trump flag he'd be a pull yourself up by your bootstraps guy, he'd be a fuck your feelings guy. Uh, He'd be a locker up guy for sure. <laughs> and uh yeah, I, I just I I definitely kept coming back to that.
1: <laughs> I don't know if Okonkwo would be a troll, but um he he seems more like a traditional small government conservative. <laughs> the sort of very blunt
0: thuggish brutality mindset in him mm. is, I think, very close to something I'm seeing a lot these I days. Guess
1: that is true, and to support you, there is this quote, Okonkwo never showed any emotion openly unless it be the emotion of anger. To show affection was a sign of weakness. Mm-hmm. The only thing worth demonstrating was strength. Right. Yeah, so that's Okonkwo for you um let's talk a little bit more about some early stuff that we see and have happen in this village so there's Okonkwo's son Owoya, who seems like a kind sensitive boy but Okonkwo thinks he's lazy and um It's one of these things where, like, just to show you the kind of guy Okonkwo is, in order to instill a sense of hard work in him, he tries to teach him how to, like, cut yams right, even though he's too young to do it. Right. And when he does it wrong, he, like... I forget if he actually beats him or just threatens to like break his jaw or something like that. Right. There's definitely a
0: line about threatening to break his jaw because he's not skilled enough at cutting yams.
1: But in the full cognizance that he is too young to do it properly.
0: Right, which is, you know, kind of one of those things where you throw a kid in the river to teach him to swim, which is something uh, that happens in a John Wayne movie, not something that happened to me. Um, But there is, I think, an idea in being, you know, a, a father figure or a mentor or whatever, where you set the expectation beyond what you know the The child's abilities are, or could possibly be, so that they will kind of progress faster and you know better.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, you know one interesting thing though, is that um so in this village, uh, there's a very complicated gender dynamic going on. Um, ostensibly, uh, women are not respected to the same extent as men. However, there are a couple ways in which you might question that. Number one, so there's this word, abala, which is the word for woman, but can also mean a word for a man without a title, which I guess in that kind of slangy way would be the same way as as calling a guy a bitch. Right. That's how I took it. Yeah. Yeah um but is also the name of a that's the name for their oracle mhm mm. very interesting yeah i mean there you know there's so many different levels of respect put on that word
0: that's it's true it is interesting i mean i think it's you know i i think we have this in our society too where there is a uh, You know, where, where you know, if you're an alpha male, what you do to establish that or to demean people who are not, uh, uh, men who are not, is to equate them with women. Um, But then there's also sort of a respect for, I mean, this is a stupid example, but like, you know, a sea captain calling, calling his boat or the sea. You know, that's those are always women. You know, there she blows. She's a she's a fine shanty, ding dong diddly. I don't know what the words are, but
1: Or no, th- I mean you. Even the word "bitch," weak man or strong woman, right? Mm-hmm. She's mm-hmm. the baddest bitch around, right? You know, it takes on a, an almost positive connotation. That's true. So. That's true yeah um but bringing up the oracle uh i guess this brings up the uh other thing about the tribe that um distanced me on my first read and kind of continued to on this one which is that um it, it was their religious beliefs um so there's kind of two tracks on this so one there's their traditions which i you know like the the ceremonies and the, you know, tribal rituals, which I was sort of like, yeah, whatever. But then there are also these occasional people who have specific roles. Like, there's a, a village rainmaker
3: mm-hmm.
1: who, you know, he's responsible for bringing the rain or for stop, you know, stopping the rain during the dry season and stuff. And so... I am not a believer and at the time that I read this book I was like 14 or 15 or whatever and I wouldn't have described myself as an atheist at the time but I still was I just wasn't thinking in those terms Uh you know so I still sort of had kind of a negative viewpoint of someone who I viewed as a con artist or a bullshit artist and the the Rainmaker is a bullshit artist. Like, he he can bring the rain, but only during the rainy season. Because if, if it's during the non-rainy season, he could do it, but it would require too much personal energy to do it. It would be dangerous for his health. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And then there's like this other guy who's responsible for um you know stopping this uh the the children who keep coming back to uh pregnant women to haunt them and then dying in childbirth. And he does these he does this like ritual with uh, Azima to, you know, find her like cursed stone. Whether they know that it's bullshit or not, whether it is conscious or not, this is I think it's harmful. He's doing these things with kids. I mean, they have this tradition where they think twins are evil. So twins are just exposed right. and left to die. Right. And so I I really had a problem with some of these religious uh belief systems. Right on my first, and even on my second read through,
0: uh, I did as well. And the idea of you know someone's clearly a bullshitter. How much are they a hundred percent cynical in being a bullshitter, and how much do they actually? did I, I could tell. Buy into it, and that's you know I'm I'm recently read um a book called Fantasyland uh, by uh, Kurt Anderson is the the author's name. Okay, um, and it it's about you know America and how America. From kind of its founding was was kind of built on bullshit, um, all the way to the beginning. You know, before uh, this was you know centuries before the 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 real gold rush in the eighteen hundreds. And the reason why you know so many people came over here was that. People kept saying that there was just a shitload of gold on the continent, even though there wasn't. And people just kept coming over, and, um, you know, then they, you know, ended up in New England in the winter and not unable to find any gold, and their lives were very terrible. Um, and then it kind of draws a line through, um, you know, all the crazy religious stuff that we had, and then, you know, to, to, from P.T. Barnum to Walt Disney to McDonald's to, donald trump it's a it's a fascinating read um but you know one of the whole ideas throughout the book is that um Americans are you know just historically we are just bullshit artists, and that we um kind of put that kind of on a pedestal like the ability to be a good bullshit artist is actually revered in our country and um you know that we actually changed a language with a lot of words like you know uh, uh, fantastic, um, or incredible, you know, words that actually mean that should be derogatory, but, you know, because they were used in kind of like by my miracle elixir type of way by, by hucksters in the 1800s that, um, that, that, that it kind of changed the the connotation of those words. Um, but you know, it, it, one thing that not to go on, on too much of a tangent, but, but, one thing that you know it it had me think about in this book as well um when it and and in the transition to you know when they have this sort of religion that they have in part 1 to when you know a lot of them sort of merge into being you know Christians to the missionaries in part 2 and 3 and how much of those people are selling bullshit um or how much do they believe and i really just and it's the same thing when you see you know um uh, pundits, or, you know, people talking about, you know, sports or whatever, uh, uh, or or the market, or any of that stuff. It's like at a certain point, everyone's being a bullshitter, and at a certain point, the way to be successful in this world is to, uh, is to kind of shed yourself of any sort of imposter syndrome, and just portray whatever you're saying with complete certitude. And uh, whether and and there's a certain I think there's a certain amount of bullshitting, but I think there's a certain amount of having to believe it yourself to make any of that happen. And if you look at, you know, people who are running mega churches and are, you know, these these great Christians, while they're also, you know, kind of bilking a bunch of poor people uh, for their money so they can fly around in private jets. I mean, I don't think that those people don't believe in God. I don't think that those people are being completely cynical. Um, I think that people are able to convince themselves. So maybe that's what I'm getting. That was a really long walk to get to um, people are full of bullshit, but they're able to convince themselves
1: that they're not. Yeah. And I mean, it is left unclear as to who believes what. I mean, frankly, they probably believe 100% that what they're doing is completely legitimate but
0: I guess I mean it's what they were taught
1: right yeah but it also brings an awful lot of status so who knows well anyway so the block continues and we get to this point that we mentioned which is that we uh, come up to uh, another festival so this is the new yam festival. Uh, an awful lot of stuff about yams There's in this so book. so many yams.
0: Do you like yams? So much
1: yams. Uh, not, I, I don't really love yams. I'm not a yam
0: fan as well. Or sweet potatoes, which I guess are different, but are the same friggin' thing. And people get all excited about them, and I'm just like,
1: Ah. Mm. I remember being in college and that's when sweet potato fries became a thing. Right. And there's such a fad for sweet potato fries, and I just like I did not get it.
0: No. Give me some real fries. People would be like excited. Hey, we don't have those shitty regular fries, we have sweet potato fries. Why do I no, want some you. like weird mushy they taste like mushy carrots to me instead of French fries, which that's already the best thing. We invented well, the best thing already.
1: Yeah, and they're sweet. Like I I, I am looking for salty here yeah i don't want to combine i like i don't some people really seem to dig this sweet and salty combo thing but i just I, I i don't get it yeah i don't
0: get it same same so i mean even the beyond the repetition of the yams i couldn't even like because some of the stuff they talk about like the dried fish or the palm wine or stuff like that i'm like oh i could get into that um totally kola nut the kola nut give me some kola
1: nut man but sounds um caffeinated but just so many yams. Yeah, with the too many yams. Well, anyway, um, we have the new yam festival, and Okonkwo isn't too thrilled about it. He doesn't like festivals. He prefers to be working. He's a working guy. He likes to be at work, and during a festival, you're not working. You're festivaling. So he starts getting upset, and it's like classic abusive dad syndrome where like the anger is just building and looking for any outlet to come out, And it finds that outlet. There's a banana tree. He thinks it's dead. It's not even dead. Someone just trimmed some leaves off it. But he beats his wife. She makes the mistake of even talking back a little bit, even though everyone in the family knows the signs not to do this because it's, again, classic abusive father thing going on. But she does it anyway. And... He tries to fucking shoot her. Right. Good thing his gun is a piece of shit, though, and, he, and it doesn't work. And he has
0: shitty aim, as we learn later as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. and, you know, that will never come back to haunt him later. <laughs> so we then meet Ikemefuna. Ikemefuna is from another village, and he comes into the story because of a an a killing of someone from... Okonkwo's tribe, Umofia, uh, for someone from another village killed someone from Umofia, and someone has to be sent over in payment uh, to be... Uh, there's a virgin sent over as a replacement, and mm-hmm. someone sent over to be killed. The person to be killed is Ikemefuna, and he is given to Okonkwo to hang on to for a while, but the problem is that they forget about him for a little bit and he winds up living with Okonkwo for 3 years. Yeah. And during that time, uh he comes to look at Okonkwo like a father, and Okonkwo himself, despite his, you know, outwardly bad attitude, also comes to really care for the kid as one of his own children and he even sees a positive influence on his own son Woya who starts to kind of develop and grow into a more manly and active young man under Ikemefuna's uh guidance and uh tutelage so you know he he's becoming part of the family but then Three years later, mm-hmm. it is time to sacrifice the child. And they, the village elders rightly tell Okonkwo, do not participate in this. You are like the boy's father. It would be wrong. However, Okonkwo winds up being the one to kill the boy because he was afraid of being thought weak. (sighs) Yeah. Well, there's that fear of weakness coming back again.
0: Right. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, I'm saying this um, somewhat ironically, but it is a very, uh, sort of concise, uh, treatise on toxic masculinity. It is.
1: Yeah. Um, You know, this act has no immediate punishment, but it feels to me as the sort of um, the the action that is the root cause for all of Okonkwo's woes later, that this Mm -hmm. is the unforgivable sin for which he will be paying for the rest of his life. I mean that's the way I view it. I think that's right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that and in a way that's kind of where the turn starts with him um as far as his behavior um I think it also there is a turn felt in the
1: village how everyone else looks at him and Right, because with the wife beatings he's punished, but it's more like, you know, a, you know, a slap on the wrist kind of thing.
0: <laughs> now now um you beat yeah, your because, wife a little you know, too you... much it was an inopportune time to be beating your wife
1: so well, yeah.
0: so tisk tisk but yeah um slicing your adoptive son uh, to death with a machete is maybe a bridge too far for some folks so i guess that is maybe where at least for a conquo things start
1: to fall apart and for his son as well because this is the moment where he's described as snapping um, he does he mentions doing it twice first when he's young, when he discovers that twins are exposed at birth mm-hmm. and he experiences internally a snap and it's sort of like this realization that some of these traditions don't make sense and are wrong mm-hmm. and you know he can't wrap his head around it and it's an injustice Yeah. Um, And then this time, you know, he'd kind of been, like, getting over it and growing up into being a a, a part of the village. But then this happens, and the, the person he thought of as a brother is murdered by his father, basically just because that's what village law and custom and, you know, edict said to do. And he snaps on the inside, and this is where they lose him. Yeah. And he will, you know, later join the Christians. Right. So... Um one other thing I want to just uh mention as a, a a thing that happens here is that um the locusts come
0: mm-hmm.
1: and when the locusts come though everyone's stoked about it right that was weird to me cuz I always thought locusts were bad normally in a story they would be but in this situation everyone's happy because locusts are a delicacy they're, in this area. They're delicious. They eat
0: the locusts. I didn't know that locusts were so delicious.
1: I didn't know that either, but evidently they are. And I kind of feel like, I like that little bit of turnabout. Fuck the locusts. We eat you.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah. So, even though he did this, and, you know, for ter- terrible reasons, it's not like Okonkwa was made of stone. He's not uh, thrilled about what he did. He goes on a bender for a while. He visits his friend, uh, Obierica, to try and get some counsel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he s- tries to get over it. This is where we get our first passing reference to white people being in the area. Yep. Uh, we we also get uh, a reference to the fact that they think that it would be bizarre for a woman to be on top during sex. Right. And they're right about that. <laughs> Are they? (laughs) You would be totally
0: fucked up. They are not down with a reverse cowgirl. No.
1: No, it is an abomination. (laughs) Oh, boy. Some real white people shit, Will. Some Um, real white people shit. Anyway. Then his daughter gets sick, Azima. Um, This is the girl who is most like him and... uh, kind of lives up to his standards the best he reflects frequently on the fact that uh he wishes she was a boy yeah she's also the the only one of nine children to survive for her mother
0: yes her mother was you know i guess cursed um in modern day she probably had some sort of medical issue um but she was cursed and and all of her children died and uh And then she was the one who survived, although was struck by illness often um,
1: in her childhood. There's an actually incredibly, what I think, well-written piece here about this, um, about her mother. The birth of her children, which should be a woman's crowning glory, became for Mwefi mere physical agony devoid of promise. Mm. Oof. Great. So um the the village views Azima as an ubanje, which is a spirit that cycles around and around to torment the mother. And this is where we get the consultations with this specific style of priest who specializes in these spirits. And, you know, to me, I just view this as more bullshit artistry. And what uh what winds up happening is that Izima is ill and Okonkwo saves her. How does he save her? He goes out and he collects fucking medicine. Right. So you know, I'm supportive of that tactic.
0: <laughs> well why wouldn't you be? Yeah. Um it was one of the places and there was another there was another passage a little later where you're kind of like somewhat impressed by by his actions.
1: Yeah. Well, he clearly cares about her. Yes. And she loves him. It's probably the closest relationship within that family. Um, And, you know, there's some sadness there that she can't be the boy that he wanted. Yeah. He would have been much happier. But she gets to eat eggs now and then, so... That's true. Rare delicacy. Rare delicacy.
0: They turn children into... Worms or something I forget what what it was, but
1: um, did you also notice uh I thought an interesting thing here is that uh in the tradition of the village, the trickster of their stories is the tortoise,
0: yes, yeah, and there's the I'm not used
3: to th- <laughs> yeah. Yep.
0: Uh, well, yeah. Well, in, in our literature, it's the tortoise is the slow and steady wins the race. It's generally the wise one or the deliberate one or the patient one who ends up winning. Yeah. But yeah, in their
1: stories, he's an asshole.
0: He's an asshole who convinces the birds to all give him feathers so that he can go up and take part in their feast. And then he says, "Well, my name is all of you." And since this feast is for all of you, ha 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 ha. And then he eats all it all. Like a jerk, but I mean, really, it was—it was kind of on the birds. Like that was such an easy trick.
1: They really should have seen that coming. They
0: totally saw.
1: Should have seen that coming. No excuse. I guess that's also the origin of the term "bird brain."
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. So the eldest person in the village, Ezeudo, dies, and uh, there is a funeral for him and at the funeral my song will become the anthem of your underground um no at the funeral okonko's piece of shit gun explodes and kills the man's son which is just such an exquisite tragedy i can't even believe it Ugh, but not enough sad
0: uh, trombones in the world <laughs>
1: <laughs> um yeah. <laughs> so uh what this does is um it's a female ocho. Right. Or ocho.
0: Let me see. As opposed to a male ocho which would be much more severe because I guess it was an accident, so it was a female ocho.
1: Right. Female is inadvertent, male is deliberate. The female is less severe, but it still requires a 7-year exile from the village. And so he takes his family and he moves them over to Mbanta, which is his mother's village. Mm -hmm. And that's the end of part one. Uh, But before the part closes, we get Obirka uh, just kind of thinking about the harshness of this penalty, which is, you know, he's thinking about the fact that this was an accident and yet they still had to exile Okonkwo. But, you know, he thinks about the fact that if they hadn't done this, you know, what had happened was an offense to the earth goddess. And if they hadn't gotten rid of Okonkwo, it would have brought the earth goddess's wrath on everybody. So getting rid of the responsible party was really the only thing to be done. Mm-hmm. Because if one finger brought the oil, the rest were soiled. The truth of this lesson is going to be seen later when the missionaries arrive and just one missionary is going to be the camel's nose for a whole series of awful shit that's going to happen to them. Right. But at the same time, there's, there's nothing they could have done. So here we are at part two, and now the story starts to move very quickly. Okonk was very well received by his uncle, uh, Uncle Uchendu, uh, and he has work to do. Uh, he has to set everything back up He has to build a house, build a farm, get everything going again. He used to like to work, but now he has no passion for it. You know, he feels like his personal spirit, his chi, is bad. It's rotten. And that's why he's been having such a rough go of it lately. And a man cannot rise above his chi. Uncle Uchendu calls him over and basically tells him to buck the fuck up. Uh, you're not the only person in the world who's ever suffered misfortune. Mm-hmm. You know? So get over it and you have a family to provide for, so how about you get to that, buddy? Huh? You gonna you gonna provide for your family? Okonkwo, um the thing about this this lesson though, is that Uncle Uchendu tells it by way of mentioning that, um you, re- you always return to your mother. Uh, the, there's a, a, what's the name? Hold on. A, a common name among the people is Neka, Mother is Supreme. Mm-hmm. And he asks Okonkwo, why do we have this name in our society when we don't often view women as being supreme? And Okonkwo's like, I don't know. And he's like, because you always return to your mother when things are going bad. This is your mother's village. You have returned to your mother. We will look after you. You will be protected here. Chill out and rise above, buddy. Like, it, you know, this is the time to get over it. You know, stop uh, wallowing in your own issues. Uh, Okonkwo doesn't really grasp this lesson, mm-hmm. it would seem but uh, Obierica comes to visit and he mentions that there is a town called Abame, which has been completely wiped out. And this is where white people enter the story. <sighs> yeah, white people. So the story goes that a white guy showed up at Abame on an iron horse, uh, a as we learn, a bike. And the oracle predicted that he would bring ruin on all of them. An accurate prediction, as it turns out. So they kill him, and they tie his iron horse to a tree. Other white men come, and they see what has happened. Uh, These white men are escorted by other Africans, so they are uh, safe. Uh, The white men leave. And then they come back again later, and they kill everyone. I mean, a few people manage to escape to tell the tale, Mm -hmm. but the town is gone. And that is our first introduction to white people in this story. As
0: historically, many people's first introduction to white people, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. You know, here's the thing. Um, A lot of mistakes are made in the, deal- the way they deal with the missionaries here mm-hmm. that make things go worse for them, and there are things that they could have done to make it go better, and there are arguments that the conservatives amongst them could have made, and there are, there are arguments that the liberals amongst them could have been made, and some of them are good, and some of them are bad but ultimately given the historical circumstances colonization was going to happen there there was nothing they could have done right i like, i just don't see how this could have been prevented like i just don't think it could have been stopped nobody had the winning argument in in all of these you know uh, factional disagreements about what to do i mean i have my side that i prefer but in the end there there's nothing that could have been done
0: yeah um there is an inevitability to it and uh it's you know and you see that throughout history as well you see that through you know american history with the native americans um and you know even more recently i would say and this might get me in trouble but um uh, uh, you know the Palestinians after World War II, when when Israel was was established. I mean, it's just there's forces that are just so much greater than you know the 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 more, for lack of a better term, you know, primitive um, society has the ability to really counteract um so whether or not they understand it or you know what decisions they make ultimately are futile
1: because there's it's just happening um yeah i mean they Okonkwo talks about standing and fighting and like they could have fought they you know they could have done that but they would have shared the fate of abame if they would have been wiped out but He's also right that if they do nothing, they will be slowly hollowed out from the inside. So it's it is a pick your poison. Right. Um you know I don't know. It it is it's it's,
0: it's rough. It's like a, it's it's that like there's no right answer. Um I mean the those that, you know, were were quicker to uh, accept um the kind of Christians way of life and to make the transition over to them quickly, uh maybe uh were, you know, had a vision that was obviously more correct, but um was a little bit more maybe advanced than Aconquo and some others were able to conceive of. Um, and I think that was defining of Akonquo and being, as we talked about, a traditional conservative um, in that, you know, he was unable to, um, or, uh, or just didn't want, didn't have any interest in, um, adapting to a new way of life. Uh, not to say that that new way of life was necessarily better or just or righteous, um, just that it was what was. Uh, and, um, I mean, ultimately we see where, where it led him.
1: Yeah, and of course, hindsight is twenty twenty. We know this now, oh. looking back. We also know this because we're on the side with all this technology. You know, Okonkwo is in the Ebo village. He does not know of the course. resources of the forces that he's facing. Of course. So, you know. Yeah. You know. Well, anyway, two years pass, and the missionaries are in Umofia. Um, there is a church, uh, and Oconqua's son Ooya is a convert. A missionary comes to Mbanta, and yeah, the pitch sounds like nonsense. There's only one God, but it's also a Trinity. It's this is ridiculous. What are you talking about? Yeah, but it spoke to Ooya. And Okonkwo, knowing that he's hanging out with these people, winds up threatening him, alienating him, and driving him straight into their arms. Uh, And once again, reflecting on it later, as is his way, he learns exactly the wrong lesson from what has just happened. He is looking into the fire, and um, he sees in the flames, he remembers that he used to be called the Roaring Flame. And he thinks about how the roaring flame begets cold, impotent ash, Yeah, which is how he thinks of his son.
0: Yeah, I thought that that was uh, an amazingly well-written and beautifully written and also just very
1: depressing and stark uh, passage. Yeah. Then the elders of this village fuck up. And this is what I'm talking about where, um, you know, the... The religious their, their religious faith basically causes them to make a mistake. They give the missionaries a piece of the evil forest to build their church because obviously the evil there will kill them. Mm-hmm. If their god is so strong, let them prove it. Except, of course, there are no gods, so they do prove it. And when they don't die, they start to win their first converts in the village. Mm -hmm. And then they start to win more. So when they don't die after a second other deadline to die happens, more people start to come over. They also start to convert women who have had twins exposed, Mm -hmm. who didn't like that. Basically there are things about the cultural traditions that have left them vulnerable to the encroachment of this new faith. And I'm not saying that Christianity is good, and I sure as shit am not rooting for Christianity anywhere, but this was a tactical... This was a strategic error on their part giving them this place to settle. They shouldn't have let them
0: build a church. They shouldn't have although their belief system was that they were you know that they that they were the ones pulling a fast one, you know. Sure, go set up in the evil forest. See how that works out for you. So, um, you know, there's there's the fact that now they're able to have a place where they're set up and they're able to establish and grow, but also just the very fact that they're doing that undermines the whole belief structure um, that, that, that they have.
1: Yeah, the and, you know, because the church accepts anybody, it's kind of perfectly calibrated to target the fault lines that, exist in this society that perhaps they didn't realize were there Mm -hmm. so for instance uh, they have this cast called osu which are outcasts um, and it's kind of a holy profession but it it is it does seem kind of like a crappy gig you're not allowed to shave or clean yourself Um, It's sort of an untouchable Mm case. And the church starts admitting these people. It does cause some of their converts to leave, but others are inspired by this. For instance, all of the Osu join up.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: So, you know, they're starting to get a lot of people. And um, once the church is established they then bring their own legal system with them. And this is what I mean where um, it's like the camel's nose, every little bit starts to bring more. Or it's like the finger that brings the oil. And it all comes to a head when one of the Christians kills the sacred python, which is a uh, representative of a particularly important god. Okonkwo, this is a bridge too far for him. He wants to drive all of the missionaries out at this point. Um, but others in the village think this is between that man and the offended god. To Okonkwo, this is a cowardly and womanly way of thinking.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And in this particular instance, I would actually tend to agree with him because I can plainly see what is happening and um, it's time to act guys like right your your plan is failing also there is no uh python water god to help you so you have to take things in your own hands uh, but that's just the way i think of course um you know but also it's like we just talked about in the short term okonkwo's tactics might be the better plan but in the longer term they're going to end up like that raised other village so they're probably doomed no matter what they do mm-hmm. They take the middle road by ostracizing all of the Christians, which nearly leads to a conflict. But then the guy actually does die. So they think, hey, the god actually took care of it, and the mass ostracizing is called off. And hey, maybe I was wrong about everything. Maybe there really is a uh, god after all. So Okonkwa's exile ends. He named his first child born in exile Neka, Mother is Supreme, out of deference for the story his uncle Uchenda told earlier. But then he also named his second child born in exile Owofia, which is begotten in the wilderness, which shows that he learned absolutely nothing from the story his uncle told him. Right. And that is the end of part two. Part three. Okonkwo returns home to Umofia, and he is fucking stoked. <laughs> he has been looking forward to this and planning it for the entire seven years that he has been gone. He is going to make this the biggest fucking day in Umofia history. He is going to throw a party. He is going to build a new house. He is going to build a new farm. He is going to make sure that everybody in the nine villages fucking knows that Okonkwo is Fucking back. He's back,
0: baby. Slaughter all the goats you got.
1: Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Except that's not what happens. Because while he's been gone, a church has grown in the village, as has a prison, as has a court. A court that makes decisions, by the way, that go completely against local customs. They don't even speak the language very well. And, um the court is being manipulated by clever assholes who want to use it to get ahead. Mm-hmm. So that's not great. Although, on the flip side, it's not all bad. There's also a new trading post, which is bringing lots of great stuff for sale. They can buy all kinds of cool shit there. And frankly maybe there's something to this crazy new religion that's being peddled everywhere. They built a school. They built a hospital. Mm -hmm. And that medicine seems to be awfully effective, frankly. So, long story short, the stir that's been caused by all of these changes steals the thunder for Okonkwo's return home and his big day is ruined, and he fucking hates it. At first, there's a pretty cool, chill missionary in town, but he is eventually replaced by a dick missionary named Mr. Smith. Mr.
0: Smith is such a dick, man. Yeah. That that earlier guy, Brown, I think? Yeah. He was cool. He was all right. You know, I mean, he was like, Hi, I'm the imperialist here to, you know... Completely overturn your way of life, and you know, kill a bunch of people and screw you over. But I'm kind of nice about it. But then, this- tell me about yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. But you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna fuck you softly. But then, uh, <laughs> Mr. Smith comes, and that guy, man, uh, bad news. It'll be more
1: like making love. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No. Not so with Mr. Smith. Uh, he is not accommodating. The quote is. He saw things as black and white, and black was evil. Uh-huh. Mm. Yeah. So, Mr. Smith has this convert named Enoch, who is very zealous, and he actually wants to try and provoke a religious conflict. In the village, there is something called egwogwo I do not know if I'm pronouncing that right. (laughs) I'm giving it my best. Eguoguo. And what these are is they are representatives of the founding spirits of the nine tribes of Umofia. They're face masks that you wear, and when you are wearing them during a ceremony, you become... The spirit. Mm-hmm. Enoch unmasks one of these spirits in public, which kills him. His intention in doing this is to spark a holy war. So he nearly succeeds. Uh, the remaining eight convene a meeting to decide what to do because this is unprecedented in Omofia's history they destroy Enoch's home and move on to the church the church decides to hide Enoch and when the villagers arrive we have a standoff they nearly kill Mr. Smith and his interpreter but the village elder saves them at the very last second He tells Smith to go home. He says, you can send the other guy back if you want. He was fine. We were cool with him. But the church has to go. Mm -hmm. And so do you. Yeah. Uh, Smith tries to argue it but the interpreter rather wisely softens the message. Um, The church is destroyed and Okonkwo is almost happy again. After this, the district commissioner, who is some colonialist imperial bigwig, returns to the area. Right. And he asks to meet with the leaders of Umofia, including Okonkwo. And he fucking bushwhacks them. What a dick. Yeah. I mean, this is some underhanded shit.
0: Yeah, I mean, again, like the turtle, they should have seen it coming.
1: I guess, but it's so fucking dishonorable. Oh, it's quite dishonorable, yeah. I I I do not approve. It it's like uh it's like in Braveheart. <laughs> Can't pull this shit. I don't know. I just I I just I just don't approve. Anyway. So the leaders are imprisoned. Their heads are shaved. They aren't fed. They're beaten. This goes on for days. They're held hostage until Umofia pays a fine. And then they are returned. Umofia holds a council of war. Will they go to war? Okonkwo clearly wants this. Uh, He's thinking finally, right? This is what he's always wanted. A speech is being given in favor of war when messengers arrive representing the, uh, the white people. Uh, They want this meeting stopped. Okonkwo walks right up to them and cuts the dude's fucking head off. (laughs) But in the stir that follows, the crowd allows the other messengers to escape. And in this reaction, Okonkwo realizes that Umofia just doesn't have the heart anymore. Mm -hmm. They won't fight. So he goes home. Later, the district commissioner arrives with soldiers looking for Okonkwo, and Obierica is there uh, at Okonkwo's place, and he asks them for their help because Okonkwo has hanged himself. Here's the quote from the book. The district commissioner changed instantaneously. The resolute administrator in him gave way to the student of primitive customs. And he becomes immediately very interested in why they need help with Okonkwo. And it is because hanging yourself in Umofia is an an abominable thing to do. Mm -hmm. Okonkwo now can't be buried. He can't even be touched by anyone who knows him. They had to send away somewhere else to get someone to take him down. None of his friends can get him taken down from where he's hung himself that's why they're asking for help from these soldiers so this man who lived his whole life so resolute about tribal tradition that he was willing to fight and die and kill ends his own life in such a taboo way. I guess because it's what what he'd just seen showed that none of it matters anymore. Things had fallen apart. It didn't... You know, who cares? Right. It's over. Right? He can hang himself. It doesn't matter that there's a taboo against suicide or against hanging yourself. You know?
0: Well, he was just so defeated on such an existential level that yeah it just nothing mattered anymore and to even die in a way that he found was noble just had no longer any meaning um and he went and did what was you know what i'm sure throughout most of his life he would have been completely disgusted and even the thought of um and it's i mean it's It's tragic, very tragic. Yeah.
1: And then the very last part of the book changes to the perspective of the district commissioner, who mentions that he himself is writing a book, The Pacification of the Primitive Tribes of the Lower Niger, which sounds like a real page-turner, by the way. (laughs) And he mentions that uh, Okonkwo was kind of an interesting figure who he'd come across in his many travels as a colonizer. And he would probably dedicate an entire chapter, well, probably a reasonable paragraph to this guy in his book. Devastating. That
0: ending was devastating. The way that it was so deliberately that the that the narrative uh changed so deliberately and was just kind of so summarily ended um because the life of this man and this whole tribe was just a kind of a goofy anecdote that might be a uh part you know a paragraph maybe in this guy's book which i agree sounds like a real real page turner
1: right I mean, we've we've talked kind of at length about how neither you nor I really particularly cared for Okonkwo as a man. But I don't think either of us would claim that he was someone you could dismiss as an uninteresting person or an uncomplicated person or or someone who, you know, was reducible to just an anecdote. Mm-hmm to just a reasonable paragraph in a boring book. It's,
0: it's just, you know, indicative of so much history of so much dead history that, you know, they always say, you know, the victors write the history and there are so many stories of um, societies that went back generations and generations and generations and all that's been completely wiped out because they've been wiped out um and you know the way that that last bit is written is written deliberately to 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 to, to, to communicate the dismissive nature with which our society views those soci- or i mean our society being you know the western society um you know views those that we that we've conquered and dispersed of um and it was it it was, it, it, it devastated me to read it like that last paragraph. I even, you know, because there's several pages at the end, which were, which are kind of a pronunciation guide, um, or, or a translation guide, which I kind of wished I had known about in the beginning of the book. Um, but I didn't realize that that was actually, I thought there was another chapter because there were several more pages left in the book. And oh. then when I turned, I was like, Oh, Oh,
1: oof. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that was the end. Do you have any um any final thoughts about Things Fall Apart?
0: I guess I mean, I think we went through most of it. Uh, I it, it I would say this, I would encourage everyone to read it. Um I uh I'm appreciative that I had this podcast because I never would have just kind of picked it up on my own, I don't think. Um mm. being like something that I was sort of aware of in high school and and wasn't interested in and you know there's a lot more out there um but just uh having this book
1: in me now i think is good very good so i guess what you're saying is that you consider this to have been better late than never (sighs) I mean, I feel like I'm such an easy, better late. Uh, I've never strayed from that
0: here. You're a better late slut. I'm man. such a better late slut. Um, I was actually, you know, throughout a lot of part one, I was like, okay, I'm glad that I know this. I'm glad that I have this book in me. But man, this is kind of a slog. Um, <laughs> so many yams. So many yams. Another yam. Um, you know, when things started happening in part two and part three, I mentioned before, I, you know, I, I got a lot more into it. The pages started turning a lot quicker and, um, you know, and it it was, it, it, it didn't kind of end up the way I expected. And although I'm not sure if it changed my perspective on anything, it definitely gave me a deeper understanding of the world we live in of history of our place in it and um of the places of others we don't pay enough attention to or forget about
1: right on such a slut for those better lates will
0: <laughs> you know what it is it's still, i just like having experiences i like having life experiences and even if they're bad right if you could, did you have the chicken pox growing up or did you get like, I did. Yeah. Would you take, if they, if you could go back in time and get a vaccine for the chicken pox, would you take it? Or are you glad that you have
1: the experience of having the chicken pox? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't have very uh, strong memories of my time with the chicken pox. I don't, um, I
0: kind of remember it being not that big of a deal. I was a little sick, but um, I don't think I got yeah. it too bad. I don't think that's a good analogy, anyway. I was just I was just saying it as is to as to communicate that um, that I kind of enjoy life experiences and I enjoy having had sure. them, even if they're uh, not the most fun during. But I even didn't even think this book wasn't that fun to read. I mean it was it was whimsical. It had a lot of funny moments, um, and uh, yeah. So go read this, everyone, if you haven't already or just listen to this podcast if you have the book report to do and um you might get there.
1: Yeah, and, you know, we we cover a fair amount of the plot. Uh just uh don't don't use the language that we used. You might get in trouble with your teacher. Well, everybody, that is it for this week. Thank you very much for listening. If you would like to contact the podcast, please email us at than never pod at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us, at BetterLate underscore pod. If you'd like to leave a review on iTunes, or I think they're calling it Apple Podcasts now, I don't really know what the hell it is, but leave a five-star review, leave a comment, all that stuff helps us. It'd be great. We'd really appreciate. Like, subscribe, tell all your friends, start your own podcast just to promote this podcast. I don't know, just You know, anything you could do would be super great. Will, it was good to have you as always.
0: Thank you for having me again.
1: It was a pleasure. And I will obviously have you on again soon. So with that being that, I will catch you all next time. Bye.